You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends, and welcome to episode 784 of the Locked On Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Rowland. Coming to you on a Wednesday evening into Thursday morning. And uh, today's episode is part two of a conversation that I had with the great Max Carlin of the Prep to Pro podcast about the NBA draft. I do want to remind you that part one dropped on Tuesday evening into Wednesday morning with talk about Isaac Coro and Devin Vassell and others. A fun conversation that I had with Max earlier this week and part two is coming soon. I, I know I said that Tuesday was the four-year anniversary of the podcast. That's still accurate. But Thursday, as you're listening to this, is also a meaningful day on the calendar because the NBA draft is now exactly three months away. I know that seems like an eternity still because it kind of is, but we have managed to navigate more than four months since the hiatus began uh, for the Hawks and the rest of the NBA. So we're inching closer, and the lottery is less than six weeks away. So at any rate, there are uh, not, not really any, any other Hawks sort of pressing news to hit on here. So as always, I want to tell you to subscribe to the podcast, tell your friends as well, make sure you're following Max's work about the draft. And um, as a quick note here, my Twitter account, um, as part of the mass Twitter issues on Wednesday, uh, my Twitter account is verified for whatever reason, and I've been having all kinds of issues even getting into it as I record this on Wednesday evening. So um, follow the show on Twitter at Locked on Hawks. If you want the uh, real-time stuff, I still have access to that one, if nothing else, as well as my account eventually. But before, before we get to the discussion with Max, which is coming very, very soon, I want to tell you about the good folks at rockauto.com. With the ever-increasing numbers of makes and models, it's now impossible to stock all the car and truck parts that you need in a traditional chain storefront. So why would you endure often pointless or seemingly intimidating questioning and wait forever while the person behind the counter orders the parts on the computer, choosing only the brand that the warehouse happens to carry? Instead, you have access to rockauto.com at home and in your pocket. It's a much better option, whether it's for your classic car or your daily driver. Rockauto.com is everything you need, just a few easy clicks delivered directly to your door. Chain stores have different price tiers for pro mechanics and do-it-yourselfers, but at rockauto.com, prices are the same for everybody, and they're always the lowest prices possible. The rockauto.com catalog is also very easy to navigate. You can quickly see all the parts available for your vehicle and choose the brands, the specs, and the prices that you prefer. rockauto.com is for everybody and does not require membership or an account login of any kind. And best of all, prices at rockauto.com are always reliably low and the same for pros and do-it-yourselfers, so why would you spend up to twice as much for the same exact parts? Go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck. From there, you want to write locked on in their how did you hear about us box so that they know that we sent you. Amazing selection, reliable low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. rockauto.com All right, Max, we're back for part two. And we were talking, uh, of course, NBA draft, and I'm, I'm glad you're, you're joining me uh, once again. We, we've discussed a number of guys already, but I, I wanted to ask you, Again, more broadly, I like to start broad and then narrow down. Uh, is there a guy or two in this class that you feel like you are either very high or very low on compared to the consensus? I know we got the consensus is tough, but guys that, you know, for instance, there's always a guy or two that are mocked like top 20 that I have in the 40s or something like that. Um, is there a guy that you love and or a guy that you hate compared to the consensus right now? Oof. I feel like with everyone this year, that's, that's kind of the way it is. Like, I, you know, you, there's, there's no, no consensus really. Um, I agree. I guess, 
notably, I'm I'm a big uh, Leandro Bolmaro guy. Uh, I just I think there are a few guys in this class that can create advantages on the ball the way he does with his his just shiftiness, um, his ball control at his size, and then being the um, the level of, of of feel that he has and and um, and the creativity that he has. I think that's just pretty rare. And then you combine that with a guy who's probably the best point of attack defender in the class who can really be overwhelming on that end. Uh, and you have a pretty interesting gamble among a group of, of players this year who are lacking in in meaningful upside. I think Bomaro, if he ever develops some way to score, um, he, he could be quite the creator. Uh, now the problem is developing some way to score. Uh, odds are he's not going to be a great finisher because he can't really jump. Um, so that kind of leaves you with the pull-up and he's made strides as, as a pull-up shooter over the, really over the last eight to, to 12 months or so. Um, I think if you look at him, uh, playing FIBA with, uh, Argentina, uh, I forget which, which age group it was, but this past summer, uh, his, his jumper was, was not pretty, but now it's definitely a lot more rhythmic in the past. It had been uh, highly segmented and and uncomfortable to watch, uh, and it's it's certainly not uh, entirely figured out now. I mean, he he has like exaggerated outward wrist flick. Uh, he <laughs> is he he um his footwork can be really uh, inefficient and kind of just a mess getting into shots. Uh, he he just needs to strengthen up his core and lower body a lot uh, to add range, but, but he has, he has added rhythm to it, which I think is something that's probably pretty hard to do with a jumper. Um, so he's, he has made concrete improvements. Uh, and if that continues, if he's a guy who can hit pull-ups even somewhat credibly, uh, he, he's a guy who could live in the paint just because of the way that he can break people down with his dribble. Uh, so that's, that's a pretty rare thing to me. Um, in this class, so I like him a lot. Probably not so much for for the Hawks. Yeah. Um, but he he's someone that I really like. Uh, and that's okay, mm-hmm. by the way. We 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 could talk non-Hawks. It's it's fine. This is still a uh, still broadly an NBA draft episode. And uh, I knew you were going to say that. Actually, uh, at least I had a feeling you were. Gonna say yeah, that I'm. I'm kind of document. like contract contractually obligated to say at this point. The other one is Xavier Tillman that I have to. I. I um forced to, to mention because and, I and, love and, it, and it's Tillman. it's kind of it's kind of funny i'm a michigan guy and i also love xavier tillman which is like heresy but i uh i love xavier tillman like my like uh i'm not even sure how to how to describe my life for xavier tillman i'm sure people that have watched him play will understand why i love him i had this rep for really liking role players that are smart and play defense especially and yep. <laughs> uh, he checks he checks those boxes in a big way but what, what do you like about him yeah, it starts with his mind. I mean, just a brilliant player. Uh, just, um, you know, will make unbelievable rotations on the defensive end. Uh, and is also just, I think, a pretty capable mover there as well. Like, he, he's not perfect, but he can get up high on the floor, uh, at least compared to, you know, the carries and Stortz and, and uh, Wisemans of the world. Um, he in spite of his his lacking height only 68 or 69 he has a i think a 72 wingspan so i i don't worry about him too much on the interior he has no trouble making plays there uh and then offensively just so crafty and smart unbelievable passer uh like the best uh short roll passer in this draft and it's not close i don't think 
unbelievable screener. Like he he has no vertical, but he is constantly pulling defenders from the weak side because his screens on the ball are so good. Uh, he is a highly opportunistic screener and, and sealer. Uh, so he's just uh, is always you know creating um, uh, avenues to the basket for for his ball handlers uh, in a way that that's just doesn't necessarily show up in the, in the stat sheet, but is, is really valuable. Uh, and it's just a, like a really smart impromptu screener in that sense that he, you know, he just finds uh, places to, you know, insert himself in the game that aren't scripted, but you know, he's, he's just so intelligent that he, he sees those opportunities and creates for his teammates through that. Um, I, I obviously worry about him, scoring uh i you know he's not not a vertical threat and the shot is not where it needs to be uh and i worry that that could hold him back a lot but i do have extreme confidence in him as a rotation big man at least yeah i'm i'm with you and i think it's uh it's crazy to me that uh a he may not even stay in the draft like there's still buzz that he could go back um and i i I assume that's because he's not hearing the greatest feedback which kind of baffles me um i know he's a little bit older he'll be 22 i think in january but going back to school isn't going to help him get younger (laughs) Um, and i (laughs) think and it uh, would be hard to be it would be hard to be better also because yeah he i think he posted the 12th best season in the in uh jacob goldstein's pipm database uh, which goes back uh, i want to say a little over 10 years it's eighty thousand. Uh, NCAA seasons and he posted the 12th best this year last year uh, was a top 25 season of those 80,000 the only only guy with two top 25 seasons in that database only guy I think with top with two top 50 even uh, so I was as good of a college player as you can be uh, so he's not going to get better yeah as someone who watches college basketball uh, also in addition to NBA draft reasons i also watch it because of college basketball uh he is an, an exceptionally valuable and awesome college basketball player so all that to say like he could still go back or he could fall in like the 40s like people think he's gonna go pretty late in the second round and uh yeah i mean somebody will get a heist uh if he's a second yeah. round pick i think yeah he's so, gonna be an nba player for a long time yeah i totally agree okay uh there are two guys i wanted to ask you about um that not that you're incredibly low on these guys, but uh, these are two players who are I think usually projected as like top eight to ten picks. People always ask me about them for for the Hawks, and uh, they're two older college players. that are Tyrese Halliburton and Obi Toppin. Um, let's start with Obi, who I think you're even a little bit lower on. Um, Obi's of course ancient. I think he's like the only guy in the draft that's older than Xavier Tillman. Um, but you know, fit wise in Atlanta, I think it's kind of self explanatory. Like they already have. Like the hundred percent the hundred percent outcome of Obi Toppin and John Collins. Uh, yep. <laughs> that's not, a per- not not a perfect comparison, but it's uh, one of the better ones that I've seen for Obi as like a high end outcome is John Collins. But what do you think of him and why? I think you would would not take him where the Hawks are. I am with you on that. He's not a guy that I would prioritize if I was the Hawks. But what do you like and not like about Obi Toppin? Yeah, so I think there are multiple like, prongs to this. I think the first would be archetype that he kind of is of the John Collins mold and there's a limit to how much offensive value you can generate as that kind of big man when you're primarily even if you're a great role man a great dual threat role man uh there is a limit to that value when your offense is is fundamentally still being created for you by someone else so Obi Toppin is not an isolation player he I don't think is going to be a particularly 
uh, amazing like primary option in the post in the NBA just because of where his his center of gravity being so high. The fact that guys can get leverage against him and he can't really move them is is going to be a problem in the NBA. So mismatches, sure, I think Obi will post them just fine, but I don't think you're running offense through Obi Toppin in the post. Um, so then the question is, what what is he doing to generate offense? And I think the answer is fundamentally as a, a dual threat role man, which can be very valuable, as you see from someone like John Collins. And I think uh, that Obi is even a superior you know, passer to that. He, he can pass on the roll. He can definitely pass out of the post uh, with both hands, sometimes in, in very impressive fashion. Uh, but I, I think there are limits to that when your offense is still fundamentally created by someone else. And if you're not then a big man who is the hub of an offense like Nikola Jokic, and if you're not a big man who is the greatest big man shooter of all time like Carl Anthony Towns, uh, you're not going to be generating Trey Young levels of of um, of offense. Uh, and then you come to the defense where I think that <laughs> oh that selling him is, as bad is not it doesn't properly capture it. Um, I think on the interior when he's just chilling there, uh, he's okay. He can he can um, make rotations on the interior when he has very little ground to cover. Like he's not a bad rim protector. But the problem is doing literally anything else. Like, he cannot cover a pick and roll because he can't drop. He can't really, like, hedge and get up high on the floor. Uh, I, um, our, our friend uh, P.D. Webb has covered this, uh, that, that his best pick and roll coverage is probably ice. Uh, but you can't really ice everything. That's kind of more, like, just for side pick and rolls. Uh, but, yeah, like, when he's up at the level of the screen kind of and, and can just slide it's when he's at his best, but then you hit him with any kind of change of direction and he's totally toast. Uh, but the bigger concern to me, honestly, is probably as a team defender, just the fact that he's so immobile, so incapable of changing direction that like he literally can't stunt and recover. Like he can't do these very, very crucial aspects of just like possession by possession defense because he's that immobile. Uh, that's a really big problem. And I just don't know what you put next to him in the front court. It's certainly not John Collins. Uh, maybe maybe it's Clint Capella. Uh, maybe that's actually a good answer. But uh, you know he's he's a really really hard guy to build with, and just not a team building problem that I would want to bring onto myself uh, for a reward that I think will be there. Like I think he'll probably be a pretty good NBA player, but you know I just don't think that it's his impact will be that high on the offensive end to warrant the team building sacrifices that you'll have to make. Yeah. I mean, two things in response to that. Well, number one, before I get to those two things is that I agree with you. Uh, number one is like, I've made the point that, you know, if the Hawks decided that they just had to trade John Collins and traded John Collins at the draft uh, and then selected Obi Toppin, I would understand it more. I still wouldn't take Obi, Obi Toppin with where they're going to be, but at least if Collins wasn't already on the roster and a big part of their future, it would make a little bit more intuitive sense to me. Uh, I still wouldn't do it. Um, but Are, What's the age that. difference there also? Uh, there uh, really isn't one. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I, used to, I used to know this off the top of my head, and now I'm looking it up as we talk. Uh, Obi was born March of 98, yeah, I can I tell think, you, Obi is Obi is one day younger than Jason Tatum. I can tell you that. Yeah, <laughs> I, that one, that one I knew. Uh, yeah, Collins is about six months older than Obi Toppin. Okay, um, which is, and this is a guy who's about to be in year four. Uh, and yeah, so yes, if they didn't have Collins, I would understand it more. I still wouldn't do it, but I would understand it more. And the second thing is, uh, no matter what I say, or no matter what 
PD says on my podcast or now you or Ben or anybody else that I've had on the, on the show, um, there is this, there is this, um, I don't even know if it's a myth. I don't, I don't want to be, I'm not trying to be rude to him, but there's this thought, but because he's, he's this explosive vertical athlete and dunker that he's a great athlete and athlete equals defensive, uh, not even ability, but like maybe he'll be okay because he's a good athlete kind of thing. And yeah. I, I can't, I can't, I know you know this, but I can't stress enough. Like I'm, I, I agree with you about his defense. Um, I know he can really jump and dunk and all that stuff, but that does not mean that he is a fungible defensive athlete because he really isn't. And it's hard for me to explain it. I think you did a good job just now, but yeah. like I, I say that he's bad on defense and like there, there's a reason why. And you're, I, I think what you said explains it pretty well. Yeah. I, to add to that a little bit, I think that it's something that we've probably stressed on, on my podcast pretty well, that the term athlete probably needs to be retired because it covers way too many things, way too many just entirely different skills. Yep. Um, but even something like vertical leaping, because uh, like let's, I guess, get into Obi's vertical leaping a little bit. On offense, amazing vertical athlete, unbelievable. Led, led, led or was second neck and neck with Yudo Kazubuki in, in dunks in the country this year. Like really, really ridiculous vertical athlete on offense. However, on defense, you're jumping in a very different way than you are on offense. You're pretty frequently jumping out of a backpedal, especially if you're a drop pick and roll defender. And not only can Obi not backpedal, like his, his stride length in a backpedal is like painfully, painfully small. Uh, he just can't cover ground doing it. He cannot jump at all out of a backpedal. So like if you lob it over him, he's not going to break it up. There's simply no chance. Uh, and it's, it's just a very different type of leaping ability. So that's when I, when I say that like when he's at when he's just hanging out at the rim, he's fine. Like he's not wildly oblivious. Uh, he's not going to just watch people go by him. He's able to jump then because you know he can just step into it and leap. But he he's he is a a load time guy who can't jump uh, you know out of a backpedal. And th- those are things that matter on defense that most certainly don't on offense. Um, so even something as as that would appear to be one skill like vertical leaping, you have to look at more granularly than just vertical leaping because there are fundamental differences between different types of vertical leaping, whether it be, you know, moving forward, moving backward, uh, through, through contact off one foot off two, like they're all very different things. Um, and Obi is very, is, you know, top, top end in some of those regards and bond with the barrel and others. It's a really weird evaluation, uh, to that end, but that's uh, yeah, you said that very well. Um, the other guy, again, I mentioned before quickly uh, is Tyrese Halliburton, who, you know, we've seen reports now that like the Warriors could take him in the top three if they were there. Um, yeah. <laughs> and, and, and Halliburton is a, also a very, very weird player who I've always kind of liked, but uh, I think I said this on the most, on a pretty recent podcast. I think the, the love kind of passed where I was and I, I didn't really move. Like I kind of, I've always had Halliburton mm-hmm. kind of in the same range, like a late lottery kind of guy. And he went from, you know, late first round early in the year to top five pick. And it's like, okay, maybe, maybe not that. Um, so <laughs> but what do you, uh, what do you think about Halliburton, especially, uh, especially in Atlanta where I think on offense, it might be good for him to play with Trey young, but on the other hand, um, maybe, you know, I, I think PD said it really well. Like he thinks Halliburton needs to be playing between like two high-end creators to really maximize what he can do yeah i'm i'm with pd on that we've he's he's come on my podcast and talked about that a lot we we've spent many hours on um on uh how unusual tyrese halliburton is 
But yeah, I think that he is a guy who has zero creation equity whatsoever. Um, he cannot get by anyone. He is never at the rim. He never steps foot in the paint. Uh, he has zero threat to score. And in college, teams treated him like he was a guy who was a threat to score. Um, so, you know, help defense came and it came aggressively for him. And then he totally picked everyone apart. He is a brilliant manipulator. Um, he like I mean, he does things that that no player should do. Like he he leaves his feet all the time, but he actually uses that to just completely mess with the the weak side you know defender and pick and roll. And and it, nine times out of ten, the result of that leaving his feet with not really without a plan, but without necessarily something open, uh, is a wide open dunk or a wide open corner three. He's a brilliant brilliant player, but you do fundamentally still need to have that threat to score you need to you know be creating these creases somehow and Halburn can't do that at all uh in the NBA he's not going to get that treatment smart college teams didn't give him that treatment um I think uh I think Baylor is is one of the ones to look at that they they really didn't treat him like a like a threat to score and and he took a lot of floaters and he missed a lot of floaters and then threw a lot of bad passes when they uh when they didn't you know, give him any passing lanes um so my yeah, my concern with Halburn is just no ability to to create advantages whatsoever. That he is completely a a complementary player, and just concerns over how valuable that is in and of itself. Like making the extra pass certainly has value, but it's you know the the first pass has to be there in the first place. Like someone has <laughs> to have gotten into the teeth of the, of the defense, and the benefit of like a Hawks fit is that they have a guy who can do that better than almost anyone in the entire NBA. But, like, it, it, you know, I I think there's debate over what the best way to use a guy who's capable of doing that uh, is. Like, do you want Trey Young on the ball every single possession that he's out there? Or do you want some time when he's, you know, playing like Steph and running off screens and, and using his shooting gravity like that? Like, That's if, definitely you know, a debate, by the way. That, that's yeah. definitely a, a, a Hawks... Uh observer debate is like yeah they always allude to wanting trey to be off the ball more but a trey's never really acted like he wanted to be off the ball on the court uh he doesn't really show a lot of interest in doing that and b like you know he's so good on the ball that do you really want him to be off the ball that much i don't know it's an interesting yeah question. i mean it remains to be seen how how much that can work right like i, I guess the Harden and chris paul teams were really really good but they also they did have chris paul for when for when Harden wasn't on the floor yes um so, yeah, I mean, it's it's tough to say. I, I'm inclined to think that you, even if you are going for a, like, really heliocentric model, you do, you do still need another guy who, who can create advantages. Or even, like, with Halliburton, like, when he's attacking a closeout even, like, he's not a threat to score off of a closeout. Like, the he's only, more the only... of a sidestep guy, right? Like, even, like, yeah. in the NBA, I, I've, I picture a guy flying at him he might up fake and like take a side dribble and shoot a three, but he's not going to go at and attack the rim much. Exactly. Like if, if he, if he tries to drive uh, on that closeout, like he's going to pass, he's not going to try, he's not going to try to shoot a floater. He's not going to try to finish at the rim. Like he's going to pass. Um, so his only threat to score is off catch and shoots in the NBA. Um, and so that like, I think you probably need a second guy who can, you know, is willing to dribble toward the rim uh <laughs> and i i mean i think that, that sounds so more... funny but it's really true like it's, it sounds so hilarious to talk to think about a lottery prospect 
who is his size, that's definitely a guard, and then actually say with a straight face that he's not going to go in the paint. But it really is kind of true. If you yeah, it, it's it, it's really true, and um, I think that he his um upside is to fill a Lonzo type role in which he is making extra passes, he's shooting off the catch. Uh, and he's kind of wreaking havoc as an off-ball defender. I worry about him defensively, just uh, uh, defending on the ball. He's, I don't think, all that good, yep. and he is so physically weak. But And I, I mean, I also worry just off the ball, the ability to impact the game as a six-four-six-five guy who's that weak. Like, if you're deriving your primary value as an off-ball guy— it is harder to make plays when you're that size, and it's it's certainly harder to make plays when you're that size and and that weak. Uh, he so is long, he I, is long, which helps. But yeah, I, yeah, I'm with you on that actually. Like I I think he'll be a good team defender. I just don't know that he is one of the elite elite level guys. Like he's he's not going to be in the the Tatum Covington uh, echelon of of off ball defender. And when you're when you're a guard, like you're gonna be playing on the ball a fair amount, even as even as an off guard. Like you're going to need to be playing on the ball and uh that's gonna be bad like uh, Tyrese Halliburton Trey Young backcourt like who who is defending the like elite creators uh Cam Reddish is the answer but yeah I'm <laughs> I'm with you on that it's not and that's I think you just resuscitated uh recited I should say most of my issue with Halliburton in Atlanta too so we're on the same page with there like I, I don't want to pile on I've always kind of liked him and how weird he is but uh for Atlanta I don't I don't love it I think the the love's gone a little bit too far overall um, okay. Before I let you get out of here, I have to ask about, uh, about the top of the draft, which is uh, what everybody loves to talk about. And uh, even with the Hawks having a pretty low chance of getting a top one or two pick, that's the, that's the sexy stuff before the lottery is what happens if they get the number one pick. Um, usually in my experience talking to people, it's a, uh, a question of Edwards versus ball. And many people lean towards Edwards because of the fit with Trey, et cetera, et cetera. A, is that how you would look at it as the Hawks and B, uh, where would you ultimately land if you could just choose any prospect in this class for Atlanta at, I guess, at number one overall? Yeah. My first tier is Ant Lamello and Killian Hayes. Uh, for the Hawks, I would be between Ant and Killian. Uh, I don't think Lamello is at all tenable defensively with Trey. And I, I don't think that that makes really any sense offensively unless Lamello is hitting an outcome where he is also sliding into one of those like linking roles that Halliburton and, and Denny are going to play. Uh, so I would go, I would go Anthony Edwards for the Hawks. Uh, I like Anthony Edwards a lot as an off ball player. I think that he does not get nearly enough credit for being uh, just an off ball player in general. Um, but he's a really powerful cutter. Uh, the way he can set up his cuts with his change of direction is really impressive. And then he is a uh, you know, very good finisher off of those. There are obviously problems with Anthony Edwards off the ball. Like when, if he, you know, if he curls into the, um, you know, if he, if he comes off a, like a, if he curls at, to the free throw line uh, and then feels the need to put the ball on the ground because he always needs to put the ball on the ground, uh, that creates problems. It allows passing windows to close it, um, you know, can even eliminate windows for him to take good shots immediately off the catch. Uh, it's it's a really bad tendency to have, and it's something that needs to be ironed out for him to uh, maximize himself off the ball. But like he is a guy who can who can do that, who can shoot off the catch, who can shoot off the move, um, who can you know, curl into the lane and, and and finish there, who can cut very powerfully, and then just, you know to have that with 
along with some some really impressive self-creation on the ball, uh, some really impressive transition playmaking, uh, and then the physical foundations of a, of a good defensive player, but not... I heard sort of the deep sigh in that as well, and that's, that's the sigh of someone who's actually watched uh, Anthony Harris play defense before, because it's, it's not fun to watch, usually. It's horrific, yeah. It's really bad. Um, he does some of the most mind-boggling stuff like he will just leave a guy on the ball and just sort of run in the opposite direction uh he makes he makes just the weirdest gambles he doesn't try he loses people off the ball uh it's very bad but when he does try on the ball he can be very overwhelming uh just with his with his frame and his ability to move laterally i mean you're talking about about a guy who could be a one to three maybe not stopper but impactful on the ball uh and that's always going to be his role he's not going to be you know a Halliburton like off-ball playmaker but if if you can get him to actually care uh most of the time he's the guy that you could stick on the best creator on the opposing team every single possession and he can make life difficult on them um but especially especially by the way if he's not the number one offensive option which is my favorite line that I always say about Edwards is that I like him so much more if he's not the number one option in Atlanta he's not the number one option and that makes it a pretty interesting fit for me yeah in theory that definitely makes sense I we've never seen him playing as not the number one option we've yeah I, we've never seen him really trying uh this is a this is not a new problem this has always been Anthony Edwards um I, I think going back to high school in AAU he tried a bit more in AAU but it was still um you know lackadaisical play I mean he's a guy with his with his explosion and power as an athlete, he should live at the rim, and his rim frequency is just not that high. He he doesn't choose to get there that often, uh, and there are you know real limiting factors there in terms of handle. Uh, but he he I mean he's a guy who could be an absolute free throw rate monster, who could be a rim frequency monster, and he's just not because of temperament, um, and that's concerning when especially when you're taking in concert with, with what he looks like defensively and, and just <laughs> his history of, of just kind of uh, loafing, I guess. Um, people people yeah. are going to people are gonna be in love with this as the number one overall player in the draft, by the way. But I'm, <laughs> this, it's kind of going back to the, the full circle to our beginning of the conversation in, in part one. Uh, the guy you just described is, I believe, number one, or at least in your tier one on your board. And uh, it's kind of funny that, 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 that the guy you just described is number one, number, number one in this class, but there you go. Yeah, this class it does not have the guy. It does not. I, I want to make sure because you know we could do twenty minutes on Lamelo and Trey, and I've done that so much. And I'm not going to make you do it with me. Um, but instead, uh, with that time, I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you about Killian Hayes because a I think you're higher than Killian Hay- higher on Killian Hayes than than the consensus. I really like Killian Hayes too, but he's sort of the guy who gets talked about the least that could be in that tier one kind of area. What do you like about him in general, and uh, how do you think the fit would be for the Hawks? Because if the Hawks end up end up at that three, four, five range, I think he certainly could be in play there. I think for Killian, it comes down to development arc. Uh, the trajectory that he's on in terms of athletic improvement is exceptional. Um, he used to be such an upright uh, and stiff and uh, just. Not I don't want to say boring player because he's always had a brilliant mind and been a highly manipulative passer uh, and just been very skilled in that regard. 
But the strides that he made this year, fundamentally, or most importantly, I would say, as a, a change of direction guy, that he can just he can plant hard and change direction and really lose guys. Um, I think that's huge, especially because of how people cover him in a pick and roll. Like he is wildly left dominant, uh, and so you'll see guys forcing him to his left, um, and like get, like they'll they'll you know get their back to the screen and force him uh, for, try to force him to his right. But uh, with the way that he can change direction now, like he can get guys stuck on the wrong side of the screen if they try to do that to him. Uh, he can split hedges. Like he can, he can do a lot to get into the defense. And then once he's in, he is a very dynamic player because he his live dribble passing with his left hand is incredible. Uh, he's highly manipulative. He's one of those guys that I think uh, when when NBA writers first see him in the NBA. They're going to be like, holy hell, this this 18 year, or 19 year old at that point kid has everything as a passer uh, because he really is unbelievable in that regard. Uh, and I, I believe in him a fair amount uh, as a jump shooter. Uh, the free throw percentages with him have always been very, very high. And he took a he took a huge stride as a shooter this year, just became a much more reliable off the dribble shooter. And he really does have craft as, as a pull up guy. Uh, and I think that he's. He's honestly less uh, l- less dominant hand dominant than uh, some other guys. Like it is a very big problem for him. But compared to like Halliburton and and Denny, I don't think he's he's necessarily more uh, dominant hand dominant than they are. Um, but so, he's le- but but he's left handed, so everybody notices. This is this is this is one of my pet. <laughs> no, theories. it's it's I it's a very real problem. Like I don't want to downplay it at all because it, it, it is like, it's a very real problem. He's a totally different player going to his right. Uh, like he, no, he my, can't rely. My, my joke is more about the fact that no one would me- like not no one. I think uh, people that would not notice it as much if he was right handed are really focusing on it because he's left handed. That's really yeah. what I'm saying. Like I actually agree with you that he is super dominant with his left hand. It's just a situation where I've never seen anyone talked about that way that that's right handed. Yeah, it, like so, <laughs> Denny and Denny and Halliburton get away with it, uh, but like Josh Green doesn't get away with it because he is so comically right hand dominant that like he he can't get away with it like he had i think two left-hand finishes this entire year like he when he is trying to finish on the left side of the basket he panics um so i i think that when it's that extreme people don't get away with it but i think compared to to some of these other guys who are comparably right-hand dominant yeah maybe killian uh you know gets a raw deal but but i i think it is a really big problem and you see that like like the the Ulm coaching staff, uh, the team that he played for this past year in, in Germany, was conscious of it. Like they they were they ran lots of intelligent action to get him attacking to on the left side of the floor, and it worked really well. So you're just gonna have to be conscious of that with your horizontal movement, whichever team has Killian Hayes, and of course you just attempt to cultivate his right hand. But it'll it'll always be a problem. I think you know he's not just gonna be a guy that, that you like. He is not the the Trey Young or or you know James Harden of the world, who are you know you're not just gonna give him a ball screen at 30 feet and say go do stuff because people are gonna force him to his right hand and and he's not gonna be able to do stuff. But uh, I I'm a huge believer in his physical development arc a uh, huge believer i didn't even mention defense but i'm a huge believer in killian as a defensive player because he used to be really pretty rough on that end all the problems in terms of being upright not sliding not getting into a stance he now is a pretty imposing on-ball defender uh especially with his size and length like he's he's six five six eight wingspan well well built uh already very strong like his strength was showing up 
playing in uh, the German BBL. Like that's pretty high level basketball for an 18 year old. Like he's, he's uh, I think an August birthday, he's still really, really young. Um, So I, I, yeah, huge believer in the development arc. I think he is the hands down the most improved player over the last year in this class. Uh, And just to have that size and intelligence and skill level is, uh, is pretty rare at his age. Yeah. I I like, I like killing a lot. I think, you know, most of the time draft coverage uh, is more sparse on international prospects. LaMelo's gotten so much attention because he was already so famous before he was playing. I think people have seen him more, but just in general, you know, the diehards have seen Killian Hayes, but a lot of people have not seen Killian Hayes or if they have, it's like one game. And I think that is playing a part in him not being talked about a lot. Um, Plus, you know, Atlanta, anyone who's labeled a league guard in the way that Killian is discussed sometimes gets cast aside a little bit because of just the, uh, on a team with Trey. But I think you mentioned the defense. I believe his defense as well. He has more than enough size to play with Trey. Um, I think that is a fit that would work in a big way. Um, you know, he'd certainly, again, like he, for me, he'd be someone I would definitely consider with a pick in that three to five range as the Hawks. Uh, he's, it's kind of funny though, if you ask around the league and I'm, maybe you've seen this, maybe you haven't, but there are enough people to think he could slide like to like eight in this draft. And I don't mm-hmm. know. I don't understand why, but I guess that might happen. But it sounds like, and you can correct me. Would you take him? If you're the Hawks, if you, would you take him at two? If Ant went, if Ant went one, it's kind of tough because he is not currently a good off-ball player, and yep. it it it's hard to figure out how much of that is role because he's always been a guy who's been a very very on-ball player. Uh, but he's he's a guy who, when he's off the ball, all he is looking to do is get the ball back, and it. it, it and he's also on top of that a very bad spot up shooter. Uh, I don't worry about that long term. I think he'll be a fine spot up shooter. But when you're talking about a guy playing off the ball, like it's more than just being good at shooting. Like you have to have a sense for how to move, how to relocate, when to cut. Um, you know, you you have to be able to. I mean, shoot off the move. These these are you know essential skills that are are lost if you think that playing off the ball is is just uh, is just spot up shooting. Um, so I worry a fair amount about Killian playing off the ball. Uh, I think in time it could be fine, but I don't think it'll ever be a huge strength. I think he's always going to be a guy who you're going to want playing, uh, like playing out of a heavy dose of pick and rolls. So I'm not wild about that, uh, offensively, defensively. I think it's kind of ideal. Like he's, he's a really, really, really good team defender and I trust him pretty thoroughly on the ball at this point like he, the strides he made in that area this year were really incredible um so i think that it it makes it makes some sense i i wouldn't hate it i don't know if it'd be the direction i would go i might just go for maxi because i really do prefer that fit but uh if they're yeah if they're i mean if they came up at at two and ant was gone uh i i'd pretty strongly consider it at the very least yeah, there are no great answers for the Hawks at the top of this draft. There's no like definitive answer. Like I'm not in love with Edwards, but yeah. at the same time, I-, I get why he would be up there, especially for a team like the Hawks. So, you know, would you? Uh, and I'm, this, will, this will be the last definitive question I make you answer. And again, it's so early. This stuff can this stuff can all change. Even though we've been watching these cl- these guys forever, I'm not uh, I'm not above changing my mind on some of this stuff in the next three months. But uh, do you like the fit with Killian more than Lamelo in Atlanta? Oh yeah, yeah. I, okay. I think that defensively, Lamelo and Trey is not is not. Okay, viable. so let me let me ask you this real quick. Uh, 
I agree that right now it would not work. I think I have, in fact, I know I have more optimism than you about LaMelo's defense long term. Now, does it mean that I'm going to be right? No, but I actually think LaMelo can be pretty decent defensively. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the, his feel, I feel like it will be an upset to me if it doesn't translate at some point defensively. He just has, he's a really tough evaluation because he's just never played defense in his life, basically. Yeah, I, I so I made that case um, on one of our recent episodes with, uh, with TJ Farrick when we were talking about player development. So the, I made the case for LaMelo actually, which is kind of funny because I'm the, I guess, <laughs> technically the, the LaMelo skeptic of my podcast. Uh, but yeah, the case is that he's never played defense before, like did not play defense at Chino Hills. Spire was something more resembling defense, but wasn't really. No. And then this year he was entirely thrust into it. And he just, he, he has none of the technical abilities to play defense on a basketball court however he has all of the instinctual abilities and, and so it's he has the length fast... at least too like the physical yeah frame. he's skinny but he's so long but he's that could really weak though he's really yeah. weak especially in the core um but it'll be a fascinating uh uh case study of just what's valuable in defense in a defensive prospect and how quickly you can learn technical ability because this is a guy who like cannot get in a stance doesn't know how to navigate a screen has no sense for where screens are uh, engagement level is very, very low. Effort level, I think, is pretty low. I, I have tended to be lower on the gambles that he makes as a team defender. I, a lot of people uh, really, really love him instinctually. And I think he is very good instinctually, but I think that his his gambles tend more toward a, a gray area where there are some definitely bad ones in there uh, than people who I think view him purely as like a dominant playmaker on the defensive end. Uh, but yeah, it's it, you could. I think it's conceivable that we could see exponential growth from Lamelo as a defensive player as he just learns technical aspects of defense that everyone else had been has Already been learning. Has. For, <laughs> yes. for, I mean, like at this point, I'm like close to multiple decades. Um, but I mean, he also could be too far gone at this point. Uh, it's it's a fascinating player development question that that I'm I'm really excited to see how it plays out. But yeah, I have concerns about that. But then honestly, offensively with with Trey, I I think the appeal of LaMelo is mega creator and that's what Trey already is. Right. I mean, I can I can see all sides and I totally understand why people think it's just untenable. I'm more optimistic about that fit than you are, but even I would say that's there's a lot of things you got to figure out if you end up drafting LaMelo. At some point, I think you just have to take him cuz but I, I think I like it more than you in general. So it's not like, I don't know. I, I would not yell at anyone that does not like the fit. I, I totally understand it. Uh, and it's, I think the ultimate chaos scenario for me and by extension for the Hawks is that exact scenario where the Hawks are picking number two or number three and Ant's already gone. Yeah. I, I genuinely don't know what they would do. Um, maybe yeah, they would take, it, maybe, they, they, maybe they, they would take a Coro if, if they like him that much. I don't know. I really don't know, but they're, that's probably the most interesting content spot for me, candidly, uh, as a selfish yeah. person, just to be like, uh, all right, uh, there are still five or, six, five or six guys that the Hawks could take. Because at some point, if the Hawks are at number one, I think they're probably going to take Lamelo. I mean, uh, Anthony Edwards. Like, yeah. I wouldn't bet my life on that, but I feel like that makes the most sense. If it's two or three, they could take six different guys, and I wouldn't know what to do. <laughs> yeah, I mean, because <laughs> so. you're, you're not a huge Ant guy, but but I'm not. it's easy. Like, it, it's... It it's, is. Exactly. It's easy if they're if they're at two and and Ant is there like that's it's an easy thing. They're to probably going to take him, yeah. And it, and yeah. it just makes so much sense. But I mean, even before you get to the point where he's from here, and I don't care about that, but maybe someone will in marketing. I don't know. Um, but 
just the fit, the no one no one gets fired for taking Anthony Edwards in the no. top three in this class. Like yeah. it may not work out, but when every single basically every single major outlet has Anthony Edwards as a top three pick in this class. Uh and then you throw in the fact that you have Trey Young, like if you take Lamelo and it doesn't work out, you might be in you might be in some hot water as the Hawks. I mean, because you have Trey Young, and it's like, yeah. all right, well, if, if if it fails spectacularly, which it could do, like I'm not going to argue. Even, uh, this is someone who I have Melo number one on my board. That might not end well in Atlanta, and that that's just so much riskier. And Travis like doesn't seem to care about that. Uh, to his credit, he seems to really value his own opinion and go all, and go on it in a uh, you know PR be damned kind of way, which I actually kind of appreciate. But PR wise and bas- even basketball wise, Edwards is such an easy sell compared to the other options. Yeah. Um, all right. I think I've I think I've quizzed you enough on uh, on this class. I might I might beg you to come back on once we know where the Hawks are drafting because, uh, as a reminder to you and everyone, the the, the NBA draft is still more than three months away. Oh, that's goody. a real that's a real thing. Three three, three more months of this, Max. Just uh, and you host a podcast that's entirely draft. My my podcast is I would say eighty percent draft right now. Yours is a hundred percent draft. So. Yeah, but we can we can get away with doing uh, weird philosophical things and and uh, not actually talking about the draft. We can also talk about the next five classes that are far more interesting than this. I was gonna so. say people people were <laughs> laughing when I had uh, I had good friend of uh, of the program and and yours as well. I had Ross Homan on uh, a few weeks ago to talk about twenty twenty one. People were like really already. And I'm like, oh, our, our twenty we man. had Ross on for, for oh I know twenty twenty one preview. Uh, I don't know. Two or three months ago. That, that's why I brought it up because I was like, "Look, this isn't even early anymore. Like everybody's sick of this 2020 class. Like, yeah. I, I could have Ross come on for 2022 at this point before the before the draft comes. I have no idea what's going to happen. But anyway, well, thank you, Max, for all the time and all of the, uh, you know, all the effort you put into stuff. Uh, again, I know you plugged it yesterday, but plug it again now. Your podcast is awesome. I listen to every single episode. Really enjoy it with you and Ben. And I tell people where they can find that and everything else you got going on. Yeah, the Prep to Pro uh, NBA Draft podcast is uh, available wherever you find podcasts. Uh, we appreciate the the frequent shout outs on on this program. Uh, and you can find me on Twitter at uh, Max A Carlin. I write very rarely and uh, post lots of clips on Twitter. That's mostly what I do. <laughs> and and then and do my podcast. <laughs> That, that's all right. I mean, uh, writing's overrated. I got to say, as someone who writes a lot, it's, it's sometimes sometimes. Oh yeah, pod, podcasting is far superior. Uh, yeah, it's definitely, uh, I would say more, more fun on a regular basis, podcasting versus writing. I'll, I'll say oh, that. Yeah. Uh, anyway, well, thanks Max. Uh, as for everybody else, please subscribe to this show, check out prep to pro and we'll see everybody later on.